Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition, and I don't know what number. John's going to give us that number. Another edition of P-Talk Photo. I know we're getting close to 100, um, and I'm here today again with uh, the great John Peterson in Portland, Oregon. I like to call him Peterson. He should be called Pedersen, but I call him Peterson. Um, Down in Portland, Oregon. Um, my partner in crime here. And today we have uh, a return guest who is, you know, we should have had Alistair Ben back quicker than this, but we finally got him back because he's got something exciting that we want to talk to you about and get into some things with Alistair. John, thank you for being the guru technical guy to make all this work. Oh, always, Um, always. It's a pleasure to be here. And Alistair, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a real joy to be back. I, I loved the last time I was here and I've been looking forward to this. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Live from, what's the name of your little town now? We don't tell the name of the town we live in because I get swamped uh, by adoring fans. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it's like when John and I check into a hotel, we have to like, we use fake Pseudonyms, names. Pseudonyms, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. And it, we live. the price we pay yeah. for way out on the west coast of scotland though so um near ardnamurchan so it's right it's the furthest west point of the scottish mainland actually wow. so you're the closest closest point to the united states that you can get well on the mainland of scotland yeah pretty much yeah yeah, we, I, shout, I, yeah. <laughs> I gotta get up there anyhow yeah. um thank you for taking some time to be here um and and uh alistair is one of the thinkers beside being a really good photographer and a, and a, and, a, and from what i'm told a pretty halfway decent guitar player um last time we were with alistair we talked about music and stuff i think we're going to spend time today talking about creativity and a new book so alistair's got a new book that is now ready for purchase and that's why we want him to talk about it because I think it's a revolutionary book in this business and one everybody ought to have. Um, in uh, in in two hours or less, Alistair, could you tell us about your new book? That should be that should be easy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It might not be. <laughs> I, I think I'm a, I'm like a lot of creative people in that. One of the things I hate doing is talking about my own work. Uh, I'm, I love talking about other people's work and less so about my own, but I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a bash. Um, right. So the, the way I'm kind of putting this book is that it's more than just a photo book. It's more than just a collection of photographs. Um, to give you some backstory, I, I started having really severe panic attacks about the age of 19. My father died very suddenly. Um, and um, it's shocking, you know, to be a young man and suddenly lose your father uh, through through a very sudden and, and traumatic event. Um, and, you know, when you're when you're 19 years old, growing up in Scotland, you know, talking about your feelings and being open emotionally uh, was a difficult thing to do. Um, so you kind of bottle up. You know, you just bottle up and you you put on a brave face and you get on with life. So you go off to university and you get a job and you meet a girl and you have a child and, you know, you you just go through the railroad tracks. And I think I always managed to survive and function, but I lived under a very, very dark shadow for large parts of that time. 
lots of joy, lots of happiness, lots of laughs, lots of drunken evenings with friends. But most of the time, there was this shadow that I was living under. Um, when I started to make photographs in early 2000 or digital photographs and getting back into photography as a kind of an adult as opposed to shooting as a kid, I didn't really know why I made photographs. I just knew that it made me feel good. And then, you know, you join forums and you start talking to your peers and you're growing up in an environment with the Guy Talis of this world and the Adam Gibbs and the Mark Adamuses and the Alex Noriegas and this whole plethora of amazingly creative people. And you want to be like them. You know, you want to be like these heroes of yours. So you learn everything. And eventually I went through a period of about 15 years of studying classical composition theory, studying the work of my peers, studying all the different techniques that I could use to, to make photographs. And by the end of 2016, I've, I felt kind of shallow. You know, I, I felt that I could make a good photograph more or less anywhere, but they didn't mean anything to me. And I didn't understand why I was making photographs other than I was growing a business. I was getting people to come on workshops. I was printing, I was publishing eBooks and stuff like that. <clears throat> so ultimately my depression and anxiety had got to such a point where I didn't feel good about myself. And I felt that the person I was portraying to the world wasn't authentic and wasn't necessarily me. Um, as many of you may know, I, I, I spent most of that time living in China. I was in Tibet for seven years. And you can't live in Tibet for seven years without the whole concept of meditation and self-actualization and, and uh, enlightenment sort of becoming a bit of a thing. So I used to meditate and sit on a cushion and kind of examine the contents of my brain. And I wasn't a very happy person. So anyway, in January 2017, um, I was in a very dark place and my ex-wife and myself took off. Uh, to Western China and explored the Xinjiang province um, of Western China. That's where the Silk Road kind of cuts through uh, the desert and stuff there. Um, and I went into the desert of the Gobi in winter, minus 26 Celsius, which is what, minus 15 Fahrenheit, so whatever, camping, um, you know, freezing our butts off and, you know, hundreds of miles from the nearest road and didn't know what to photograph because it wasn't, it wasn't Iceland. It wasn't icebergs on a beach. It wasn't pointy mountains with aurora over it. So it wasn't dynamic uh, seascapes at sunset. You know, it, it was this alien environment. And really what happened was I had a bit of a, a combination of a breakdown and an epiphany at the same time where I suddenly felt very shallow, but at the same time realized that I had to do something about it. And what really happened was that I just decided to start shooting intuitively. So rather than thinking about foregrounds, midgrounds, backgrounds, or the concept of a subject, I allowed the landscape to tell me where to point my camera. And this happened, I ended up going to the Gobi seven times over a, over a few years. Um, and every time I went in there, I would just see things that spoke to me. And I didn't think and I didn't compose. It was just a, a very free process. And when I started going to other environments, whether it was the Iceland highlands or the north coast of Spain or the west coast of Scotland, the same principles 
were speaking to me. And I broke those down into five triggers. So luminosity, contrast, color, atmosphere, and geometry. Those five things will ask you to point your camera at them. So you look at any scene. (laughs) If you're open to listening. Exactly. Absolutely. If you're not, then you're looking for the foreground rock to juxtapose with the sea stack. Yes. Or you're looking for the starfish in the rock pool, or you're looking for the, where the water's going to flow around a rock, you know, all of that stuff. It becomes a very, it becomes a very conscious action. And if you approach the landscape consciously, all you will find is what you can imagine. The, what you're looking for. That's the best case scenario. Whereas if you listen to the landscape, you're much, much more likely to be surprised by the things that you notice or that ask to be photographed. And this is perfect on particularly days where the light's a bit flat or the tide isn't quite the way it was going to be or it's very windy or you know something untoward has happened so that it doesn't pan out the way that you think it's going to pan out. So it's that openness. So the more I meditated on these five elements, luminosity, contrast, color, atmosphere, and geometry, I'm trying to think of a really cool mnemonic uh, for them, but they're all rude. (laughs) So I'm I'm trying to think of something that can be digestible, but it's not working yet. So the more I kind of thought about this this concept, the more I realized is that there are emotional attributes to some of these things. So strong colors, like, you know, I'm looking, obviously we're on a Zoom session just now, looking at the, the shot behind uh, Jack there, bright aurora. The greenness of the aurora is a very powerful emotional trigger. The dynamics, the geometry of the lines is an emotional trigger. The, the contrast in the shadows, the contrast in the clouds, all of these attributes have an emotional resonance to them. And what that really allowed me to discover was that I could find myself in the landscape. And if I was feeling particularly melancholic, two things could happen. I could either go into the landscape and find something that reflected the melancholy and therefore became uh, an external way of visualizing what was somehow trapped in my own mind. And that was cathartic. That was a good thing to do. Or I would go into the landscape feeling melancholic and something would brighten me up like a bubbling, you know, bubbling energetic water flow or light shining through behind autumn leaves or, you know, something that's just joyful, naturally joyful. Atmosphere is a wonderful thing to immerse yourself in long exposures are a wonderful thing to lose yourself in. And I just found that the whole creative process for me changed so that all of a sudden I was photographing the landscape as it was either shaping my emotional state or reflecting my emotional state. So it kind of transcended the whole concept of putting the photograph first. It became a very experiential thing. So... (laughs) Two hours or less, you said. <laughs> um, no, this is good. So what what really happened was that over the next five years, really over the last two years, I got to the point where I've created the business of expressive photography. I run a forum called the Expressive Photography uh, Community, and there's people on there posting images that speak to them or speak for them. 
And that's a really important thing because social media is not really good at that. Social media is not really good at rewarding personal introspective photography because social media is about impact. Social media is about popularity. Social media is about being competitive. And I think where I wanted to try and do was to create the antithesis of that, to create a, something that was a safe space for people to open up emotionally, talk about their experiences and their perspectives and post work. So the ebooks that I write, the community that I run, all of those things have formed like uh, from a seed of this sort of expressive photography seed. Ultimately, it was my wife uh, who I will blame for the, you must make a book of this. <laughs> she, she, she really believed that it should be a book. She's been a big collector of photography books for a long, long time. I've bought hundreds of photography books over the years, just about every significant world photographer who's making photo books, we have them on shelves around our house because we believe in supporting artists. We believe in printed books because the internet isn't the best way to consume photography. We know that it's, it's not very organic. It's very detached. It's not, it's not a real experience until it's in your hand. So a book and I'm working with a guy in England um, who did Bruce Percy's books. Uh, Bruce yep. is a close friend of mine. His Bruce books is, are Bruce is a, a, a genius, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, well, I love Bruce's books. I've got three of Bruce's books uh, yep. on the shelf. I love the quality of them. I love the format. I love the design. Just everything about them. So Bruce introduced me to his guy. So I worked with Darren. We started probably in the middle of last year during lockdown, I think, where we started kind of talking about it um, and steadily we've been moving forward. Um, so he's done all the design. So what we now have is um, the book is ready for it's on pre-sale. So it's not ordered yet. It's not it's not been sent to print yet because we need to raise a big chunk of cash to pay for the thing. It's an expensive product purely because we've spared no expense in the production of the book. We're using great paper. We're using a great printer. We're using very high quality cloth. Are you using the printer that Bruce used? Yeah, Trento in you're, Italy. You're amazing. Incredible printer, incredible yeah. quality of work, but they charge for it. <laughs> you know? well, so you know. we've got three editions. Um, the book, the, the book will be the same in all editions. So the standard edition, the deluxe edition, and the collector's edition, it's the same book. And the difference between the editions is that the standard edition is, is the book. So it's 160 pages, 132 photographs tons of text by me telling the whole story of this uh, change of my life and the perspectives that I have and how other people can help themselves. So it's almost there's a self-help or a personal development aspect to the book. Um, there's two forewords, uh, one by Joe Cornish, who's uh, an incredible yep. British landscape yep. photographer. The other one's William Neal. So William Neal's wrote, wrote, written the second forward. Uh, so I'm hugely honored to have two you know, I've got nine. three or four of Joe's books. He's a, he's right. another, 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 you know, mm -hmm. it, like you say, he's just a genius. So that's the standard edition. And then there's a deluxe edition, which we love, which has got a beautiful slipcase and comes with a print. So I'm producing 
prints for the the deluxe edition, uh, signed edition. So basically, I think it's like it's it's a little over twice the price of the standard edition, but you get a slipcase and a print. And then there's the collector's edition, which is all singing, all dancing, which comes with the slipcase, a belly band. It comes in a clamshell presentation case with another booklet with all the behind scenes stuff and talking about the environment and talking about the the experience of being in the desert more than the kind of what the right. book covers. Uh, five prints in a folio plus wow. plus uh, an S- a USB stick with a slideshow of all the images in a sequence with music that I've composed for the... Wow. The presentation. So I've, I'm throwing a bunch of music on there too that I've composed specifically wow. for the project. Wow. So it, it's it's turned into a bit of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. That sounds like a lot of work. And that's what you've been doing all this time. When you... yeah. Man, I need to clone myself. I need like six other versions of myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, yeah. this is going to, you know, just so you know, I've already ordered a book it's done and done i i'm another book guy you know i can't look at images on monitors i just can't deal with um i i did a workshop recently that we were looking at it we were doing an image review and i just i just let everybody do their own review i i just i said this is a such a good image it's not doing any justice looking at looking at it on this monitor, you know, and, and uh, you know, so books are great. And if you use the same printer as Bruce Percy did, man, your, your customers are in for a real treat. Yeah, a treat. A but, treat. I mean, that, that's the plan. I mean, that, that, that's really the plan was I, I am a horrible perfectionist. I mean, that, that that's a curse in business. Is, you know, it, it's, you do a great book and, and it's on crappy paper, which a lot of people do. Um, it's, a, it's not going to be representative of the work. Yeah. And it's I, like putting retreads on a Lamborghini, you know, it's just. I, yeah, you know, I, I agree. I, agree. I, I, I just think it's this might be the only book I ever do. I don't know. I mean, after this one, I might be so scarred that, that I never decided to do another one, but um, I knew that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it as to, to the best of my ability, really. Well, without, um, without giving away the um, the story, because it sounds like there's a real story in this book. It's not just a, not, not just a book of pretty pictures, like you said. What, I mean, is there something that, brought you out of this uh de- depression or is it is, is there one thing or what was it just yeah realizing yeah. yeah i can summarize that i think you know without giving away the whole book I, I i think what happens is that when we're kids if you're lucky enough to have a nice childhood you know if, now I'm I'm currently going through a big thing right now where we're realizing that most of us were abused by, by teachers at school when we were kids. You know, I, I was belted with a leather belt when I was four years old. You know, I which, should have been, but I wasn't. Well, I I was, and I shouldn't have been. <laughs> and you know, you see, so you, you kind of this process of breaking you starts young, 
you know, so many children grew up in really difficult circumstances. Alistair, our society tells you that when you're two years old, if you fail, you, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. And, yeah, and the, and you're and the, the camera, I have to tell you, to this day, I fail a lot more than I succeed. And if I abide by that, that, that credo, man, we're in deep trouble. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that life is difficult. I think we're a very intelligent species generally. You know, we've got this huge brain that, that allows us to think really deeply about some things that maybe shouldn't be thought about at all. And I think really where I got to was that you, you change yourself in all of these little increments that happen over decades of time until you get to a point where everything you are is a compromise. You know, you, you behave a certain way with your buddies so that they don't take the mickey out of you. You know, the, the, you, you, know you, you act bigger than you are, or you act tougher than you are, or you act more coarse than you are, or you have more of a swagger than maybe you feel. You know, or you get into things like, you know, drinking or smoking or drugs, you know, to fit in with a crowd. And then you go to work and then, you know, they don't want creative people at work. They want people to do what they're told right. at work. So you in have to change yourself again. Yeah. In a timely fashion. In a timely fashion. Yeah. So yeah. all of these. So what, what I found photographically and creatively by the end of 2016 was that I was just mirroring what I did in my real life, which was. I was just a compromise. I was giving people what they expected from me. And ultimately, I found it very, very damaging to me because I didn't feel I could be me. I couldn't believe that I could speak my mind. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about, you know, cussing all the time or telling people that they're idiots all the time. <clears throat> but just that, that general sense of hiding behind a veneer or creating armor that no one can penetrate. And it was very dangerous for me. It was very negative for me because I spent all my time inside my own head. And I know hundreds of people like this, you know, oh, yeah. who, who, who suffer from this constant nagging doubt that their life is meaningless. <laughs> um, and when it comes to creativity, when everything is about competition and popularity, you're constantly using comparative language. You're constantly saying, oh, I'm an okay photographer, but X photographer is better. I wish I saw the world like that photographer. I wish I could express myself like that person. I wish I had their emotional capacity. I wish that I had their sense of uh, fun or daring. We're always using comparative language when we compare ourselves with other photographers or other writers or other musicians. I, I play guitar and I, you know I'm pretty good. I mean, I've been playing for 40 plus years but I compare myself to the best guitar players in the world and compared to them, I suck. Hmm. Yeah. So I could think, well, you know, okay, I can do this, which maybe a lot of people can't do, but I'm nowhere near as good as that guy. And I, I think this is the problem with photography is that it seems such an immediately accessibly easy thing to do. And the very best photographers are damn good at making it look easy. You know, you're trying I, to look <clears throat> Try to learn how to play a piano. That's, that's a little more difficult. Well, and and adding in the 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 comparative language that you talk about. I mean, that's the whole thing with social media, 
right? That just fosters this comparative um, narrative when you're putting up images that you feel express yourself, but yet compared to Alistair's images that are posted on the web, I mean, mine suck, right? You know, it's just this social media um, just promotes um, comparison across people. and, And we get stuck in this loop of, of this comparative ideology and it's really difficult to break out of that it's toxic yeah Yeah. it's socially toxic um so i I think realizing that for me to feel self-actualized as a creative person and validated self-validated as a creative person i had to make images that were true to myself and this is where the intuitive shooting style developed because what happened when I started shooting intuitively by taking my intellect out of the equation or my learning out of the equation, allowing my subconscious to drive for a start, you give your thinking brain a rest. But secondly, what it enables you to do is your subconscious creates and it can tell you things about who you really are as opposed to who you think you are. And I basically found that as a creative person, I'm nothing like what I thought I was. The stuff that I, the stuff that really appeals to me, the stuff that really excites me. I was in the north coast of Spain in April. I had a little private workshop with two people from um, from Colorado who'd flown over to Spain for like ten days, and we were on the beach. And there's a beautiful, beautiful place, really be- beautiful, you know, beautiful rocks and just. Beautiful. <laughs> Everything about it was gorgeous. But I'd been there like dozens and dozens of times and was just happy to be there. So I wasn't making photographs. And then I saw something literally at the corner of my eye that was like yay big, you know, that type of size. You know, well, this is a radio broadcast, so like <laughs> sorry, about six inches square maybe. And I went down the rabbit hole with this little area for like an hour and a half. Time stopped all of a sudden you're you're just you're in this i mean people call it a flow state but i it's also it's almost like optimal living it's like utopian existence you know where you're you're just in this relationship with something outside of yourself something i've been reading an awful lot about is um maslow the the famous psychologist before he died He had a near-death experience and he nearly died and it gave him a profound insight into his life and his existence. And he spent the last few years of his life realizing that this hierarchy of needs that he'd discussed and written quite a lot about over the previous 20 or 30 years, that one of the byproducts of self-actualization is altruism, it's selflessness is one of the things that becomes a byproduct of being fulfilled. So if you're, if you're fueled by passion and imagination and engagement beyond yourself, then that just radiates out. So pretty much everything I want to try and do now, it's not about me. <laughs> it's like trying to help other people to have more just self-satisfaction in their lives rather than comparing themselves to people on the internet who they've never met whose work may or may not actually be a reflection of what the person saw when they were there anyway you know because there's so much 
sky swapping and warping and distorting and all of this stuff that goes on these days. So you're, you're in competition with someone who's not even portraying what they experienced anyway. And it's, it, it's, it's just toxic. It is. You know, it, it, as you've been talking about this, Alistair, what we just had a, a recent conversation with Guy, Guy Tal, and, and uh, we, we went down a, a path talking about experiential photographers versus photograph only photographers. And he's written extensively about that. And, and he's very much an experiential photographer who goes out into these places and, and he doesn't care if he gets a photograph or not, but he's in right. tune with his surroundings. And if something moves him enough, he tries to express those feelings through the photographs, which sounds so similar to what you're talking about right now. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that that that's not new. Bruce no. Percy, I mean, that's what he he you know. The first time I saw Bruce Percy, I, I was in Iceland, and I look and I see this guy in the middle of this snowfield, and I thought someone got lost because you know you've been there in the winter, you, it, yeah. it, it's disoriented, and you know I was ready to go out and say, "Sir," I said, "Can I help you?" And and, and you know, and I saw he was walking back. And when he got back, it was Bruce. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, there were three sticks. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, I think a lot of the people who are very successful as creative photographers and creative musicians and, you know, whatever, I mean, some of the, some of the, my wife watches these cooking shows and some of the, some of the most creative cooks use less, ingredients than everybody else and that's what we do john you do it john i got you may not realize that i see you do it and and it's the way that it, i'm not saying it has to be done that way no but but it's that it's distinction it's that distinction between um being being in the experience and being in touch versus pursuing a photograph you notice I didn't say you're going to be success, more successful if you do it. No. You're going to have a better experience yeah. doing it. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the things that's really... It just doesn't have any meaning, really, in, in what we're doing. Kind one, of. Of the things, one of the things that's really been on my mind recently, and I agree 100%, I think Guy and I share a huge amount of similarity in our approach. Yeah. And, and we write on a similar theme. A lot of the things we, we write about are in different ways, uh, yeah. perhaps. We use different language and we use different yeah. methodologies. But I think, you know, when, when Guy and I do talk, um, we, we're, we're more or less on the same page. You know, we, 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 we agree with each other about that. I think one of the biggest concerns I've had of recent times is that, you know, if you're a professional photographer, and by professional photographer, I mean you make your living as a photographer, you pay your rent, your mortgage, your electricity bills, you put gas in your car, you put your kids through school, you, you know, everything you, you know, your, your 401k is paid for out of your photography. You know, if that is your career, then I understand totally being on social media, promoting your business, trying to gather customers, getting your work in front of people who are going to hopefully resonate with it and somehow uh, feel a resonance with, with what you're seeing and how you're presenting yourself. You know, I totally understand the sacrifices that we make as creatives to promote ourselves. You know, it's, 
it's the worst part of the job for most of us is self-promotion. If I didn't have to do it, I'd be a happy cookie. If I could just go out and photograph and sit here and write and other people sold my stuff and talked and did all my social media, I would be happy. Alistair, I'll tell you what the worst part of the job is. If we, if I was running a workshop in Moab, Utah today and gave the, the same talk, if you and I and John were running a workshop in Moab today and we had 10 people and we gave them the talk that we're talking about now about being creative and la-di-da, they'd all sit there going, yeah, wow, this is, boy, these guys are right on. Boy, they, they've got it together. This is what I need to do. Um, and what time are we leaving for Mesa Arch tomorrow morning? Yeah. They, they, they talk, they talk, they, it's like they know, but they have to get that sunrise Mesa Arch shot or their life is, and you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a dichotomy there. I mean, you know, all of us have photographed icons over the years. You know, we've, we've, we've all done it. It's all part of the process. You know, I could pick up this, the Telecaster there and play, you know, Pink Floyd or, um, you know, Joe Satriani. <laughs> or stairway to heaven even you know we learn how to play these things because you learn you know you learn chords you learn triads you learn scales you learn the techniques of bending or whatever it might be you know you learn through imitation and that's that's a that's a normal thing to do but i know that if i play the solo out of another brick in the wall or comfortably numb i'm not creating i may be performing and i may be making nice music but i didn't create that music it's still fulfilling. It's still a good thing, but no one's going to pay to buy it. No one's going to pay me for that guitar piece, let alone the copyright infringements. You know, I, I, and without getting into that whole kind of rabbit hole of, of photographing famous places and icons, I think it's a very important part of the process. But I think many people realize once they get a number of years under their belt, that it stops being fulfilling. It stops being satisfying. There's that, I need to make my mark. I need to make my statement. I need to be known for something other than very technically proficient photographs of iconic locations. You know, and this is where Mark Adamus just smashes out of the park the whole time as he goes to places that no one's ever been before and discovers all these incredible things and presents them in a way that's just like, it it, make, it reminds me we live in an incredible planet just filled with these outstanding locations that someone's got the balls and the energy to go and explore for 20 days trekking on his own, carrying all his gear. And that's why I love Mark. He's still one of my best friends to this day, even though stylistically we're kind of pulls apart in terms of our creativity, but I've got all the time in the world for Mark. Well, John, John and I, we take the attitude, okay, you're going to shoot Mesa Arch whether you tell us you do it or not, so go ahead and do it. And then when you're done, let's, let's, get, let's change our, our, our let's way. Let's start being creative. Thinking a little. Well, bit. it kind of, you know, it just goes. It just goes back to that whole thing. Is that when when we're so focused on, let's say, a Mesa Arch photograph that we lose the ability to see all the other photographs along the way, and coming back from that, we we're so focused on the outcome that we miss the journey and the experience of being in that amazing place. 
I think the analogy starts photographs on the way to Mesa Arch. We right by them. Yeah. Go go ahead, Alistair. The the kind of realization I've had recently, or the analogy that I'm starting to use recently, is that if we were a diamond, you know, our life, we are the most precious, you know, our life is a precious thing. So let's imagine ourselves as a diamond. If you only ever show one facet of yourself, there's not going to be a lot of sparkle. You need all of the facets to reflect the light. And that's what causes the glitter. You need to have multifaceted aspects of yourself. You need to show different flavors and nuances and personalities and and passions. You know, the more diverse you are, the more interested you are, the more the more you read and the more diversity, the more music that you listen to, the more influences you have, you're more likely to be able to say you, you create this multifaceted self because what society wants is one facet. And this is where I talk about personal style. It was such a big thing, you know, like in the 90s, you've got to have a personal style. If you don't have a personal style, you're not a good photographer. You're just, you're just, you're just scatterbrained if you don't have a personal style. Whereas now, I, I, I look on a personal style as a prison. You know, it, it's a, it's a single facet of my creativity is having a personal style. For quite a few years, I made very dark, melancholic images for obvious reasons. I was a pretty dark, melancholic kind of guy. And now I make really high-key, minimalistic images, really dark, hopeful images. There's this whole emotional spectrum because art is the expression of our emotional spectrum. That's what art is. The world doesn't need to see another photograph of that mountain. It needs to see a different perspective of that mountain. It needs to see why that mountain is more than just a pile of rock and gravel. You know, so I think this is where Guy wins. You know, Guy Tal's work is so multifaceted. There's there's nothing there's nothing constant about Guy's work other than it comes from his heart always, mm-hmm. and that that that's a win. You know, it, I I don't want to go through life in a one dimensional capacity. You know, I I want to go through my life experiencing and flowing and changing and growing rather than just saying, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do for the next 30 years and then stick me in a box. That That's kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. Well, you're on your way. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, uh, I can't wait to get, get your book. <laughs> so for folks that are listening, I will put up a link to uh, the order page on Alistair's site. And again, that's the Out of Darkness that book you, you've actually published a bunch of photographs from this series i think over the last couple of years i've i've seen a few dribble out here and there and very powerful yeah um yeah the, 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 there's a risk that i almost became a one-trick pony for a while um yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was like desert abstracts um but and then that's part of getting the book done is is a sort of almost a sense of closure on the project for me as well. You know, I've got so many creative ideas that I want to pursue. There's so many emotional outlets that I want to pursue and I won't be going back to the Gobi now, you know, I'm done with that whole thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, we talk about 
a life's work. And, and this feels like that right now is that this is a kind of, it's almost like a zenith of what I've been doing up till this point. And I'm excited to see where I go from that. But, you know, at the moment, it's, it's, there's going to be a certain amount of promotion. Yeah, and, and that, not necessarily to put words in your mouth, but I also think it's a it's a a, a, fr- a way for you to shed your past and to be unburdened to pursue creative pa- different creative passions going forward. You've come out of the darkness into the light, and now you're free to explore a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's a metaphor. That, that, that's a metaphor that, that that we could really go, go kind of down the rabbit hole with. And it's not so much that I've come out of darkness; it's that I've changed my relationship with darkness. You know, it's only you know I I can be just as happy in the dark as I can in the light. You know, and I think that's it's a much more accepting, non-judgmental state. I mean, there's an there's an awful lot of Zen wrapped up in my life. You know, it, like I said, seven years in Tibet is going to do that to you. Um, you know, sitting in monasteries with lamas and having discussions about life and the universe and all of that, it, it kind of it gets into your head a little bit. But the, and I, I, I don't want to give the impression that mental health is just a case of flicking a switch and all of a sudden everything's different. You know, it is the process, but we we listen to every word we say to ourselves. We're the, we are in our heads 365 days a year. And the things you say to yourself and the language we use to describe ourselves and label ourselves sticks. Your amygdala listens to every word you say to yourself. Yeah. And then what your prefrontal cortex does is it takes what the amygdala reacts to and magnifies it and makes it even more and then you get into this sort of biofeedback loop where it just grows and magnifies and that's how panic and anxiety manifest themselves is an escalation of a thought an escalation of a feeling and really what what i've managed to do over the last five years is to change my relationship with those signals and those triggers so that I can experience them for what they are and not what I think they're going to lead to. You know, an awful lot of my life was fear of fear. It was the fear of being in a meeting or, you know, like sitting around a boardroom in a director's meeting and having a panic attack. I mean, I've had panic attacks with directors of like large multinational companies and they didn't know, you know, because you're just hiding behind this face of... Mm -hmm. a very different place from where I am now. Um, so yes, it's a very important book, but I don't look at it as, I just have a very different relationship with the past. I'm, I'm less interested in the past. I'm much more interested in about, I had, just very quickly to finish this off. Um, there's a guy I've been dealing with for a couple of years now, He's kind of a creativity guru, catalyst kind of guy, a guy called Jeff Bannon. And he reached out to me during lockdown offering his services for free. You just basically said, you're a creative guy. I really want to talk to you about creativity and, and trying to untap creativity that you don't know you have. And I owe, I owe an awful lot of this to Jeff. And we were having a conversation about panic and fear the other week. And he said, fear has been your driver for most of your life. It's been the thing that's got you out of bed to go to work, to make money, 
so that it's been pushing you forward through your life. And it's the relationship that I've had with that fear instead of it driving me through my life. Now I look forward. So passion is pulling me forward through life. I'm looking forward to something that's getting me excited and passionate rather than being driven by the fear of a five-year-old boy, you know, getting, getting thrashed with a cane for, for doing something stupid in school. So it's, Life, as I said, is a complex thing. It's a challenging thing. Creativity is most definitely a good thing in our lives if it comes from the heart, if it comes from the position of wanting to express yourself, self being the operative word. If you don't have an authentic self, how can you express it? So we could, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I, bet you that, I bet you that there's going to be people who listen to this podcast because I think we have, John, what do we have now? 10, 15 people listen to this podcast? Oh, at least, yeah. <laughs> no, we have, we have quite, a, quite a number of people. But, you know, I, I, I think people are going to listen to this saying, wow, you know, I, I've been going through a similar thing, maybe not fear, but maybe something else is causing me to be, try to inhibit my creativity or, 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 or on the opposites, you know, make, make things happen creatively. And I think, I think people don't realize, well, a lot of people don't realize that things can make you react in different ways and maybe happened last week or 50 years ago. Well, I, I think adding on to that, though, Jack, that that I think my public service announcement is that uh, the phrase mental health is often construed in a negative context with people that are afflicted with something in the head. And, you know, my my whole contention is that if you have a brain, you need to think about mental health, whether it's positive or negative. Even the happiest people need to be concerned with their mental health, especially in this society today. And so don't let the phrase mental health think think it's negative. Each and every listener out there needs to think about their mental health and how they process the language that they talk to themselves in. And I have to tell you, creative people, if you're a deep creative person or you're trying to be a creative person, I hate to say it, but you're, you may have issues and look at things a lot differently than the guy in the post office who works nine to five and goes home and eats dinner and watches TV and goes to bed. It's just the way we're wound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Life so is complex. I mean, the, cl the classic expression is the tears of a clown. You know, exactly. the, the facade, the facade of happiness, the facade of tomfoolery. I was considered one of the funniest guys at university. I was just to sit in pubs and tell jokes all night. But underneath, you know, you use that as a facade. It's a liking mechanism. Yep. You know, but it doesn't mean you're happy. It just means you're funny. You know, most of the greatest yep. comedians in the world were depressed. Yeah. Yep. So it's Some mental health. The greatest composers of all time. Where right. had serious issues, Mahler, uh, yeah. go, go right down the list, and yeah. and it's okay. But you find a way to deal with them, yeah. and we all have different ways of dealing with things. But yeah, well, the good thing the good thing in twenty twenty two is there are better ways of dealing with it than there was in 19, 1972. 
Right. You know, and, and that is what's happened. That's the paradigm that's happened in my lifetime is that we're having a conversation. Three guys, bald heads, you know, in, in our later <laughs> glasses, um, you know, we're, we're, we're three older men talking about mental health. We're talking about emotions. Yeah. We're talking about feelings. We're talking about expression. We're talking about creativity. You know, you, you go and shoot flowers in a meadow in Alaska and someone with a pickup and a gun rack is going to call you a pussy, you know, because it's like, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, because you know, other people aren't necessarily that open about talking about their feelings or talking yeah. about their emotions. Yeah. And that it's inherent that we've been told to fail since we came out of the womb and failing is okay. It's, it's an okay thing. But speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, if you go out and, you, and, and you, you force yourself to take a bunch of photographs and they're really crabby, it's okay because you probably had a better day than 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 someone who sits in a cubicle with monitors looking at numbers. All well, hopefully, you learn from your failure. Failure. I think that's the 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 beauty of failing is is it's a great teaching moment for all of us. Well, it's better be. So, so Alice, we could have a good. Oh, sorry. I was going to say no, this. No. This book is going to ship when? Right. Um. Basically, there's quite a long lead-in time. Um. Because there's a huge shortage of fine art paper, and um, Italy's obviously somewhat disrupted by supply chains and the troubles that we're having in Eastern Europe right now. Um. So, we're probably looking at early next year. It's going to be like January, February. Um, so I appreciate that that's sort of five months out, uh, which is a lot of a, a lot of time for us to have your money. But we need to put down a sixty percent deposit when we order the book, um, and then the forty percent balance when it's shipped. Um, so for us to print the number of books we want to print, uh, we need to raise quite a lot of capital. Well, I think you should be commended for being upfront with that because I got to tell you, there's. There's uh, people making gear these days who are taking people's orders knowing they don't have the product in their warehouse, but they're getting the money to pay for the orders so they can produce the product and they're not being transparent about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, for, for us, realistically, I, I mean, you know, from, from an economic point of view, we're not a large company where myself and my wife, we run expressive photography. We, we, we don't make millions of dollars a year, as, as you would expect in, in our field. Um, we have some money in our business and we could put down the money to pay for the book up front. Um, but the risk of doing that to me is excessive. It, it, it could bankrupt the company if we don't sell enough books in presale. And that is worse than... Well, please, everybody, you know, think about buying one. I, I'm telling you. Yeah. This is this is a book that, again, it's not just a book of pretty pictures. The pictures are great, but I think what you can gain from the story here is is, is the important part. Um, there's some other things that Alistair does. I know he's got his uh, subscription um, teaching thing, and I want you to talk about that quick. And also, tell everybody about your YouTube channel. It's great. I mean, I just sure. watched I think you. I think I watched the last five or six. Great little ten-minute things are very motivating. Well, 
thank you again for the opportunity. Um, it's worth noting also we're shipping free the book to yeah. many countries around the world, including the United States. We're subsidizing shipping out of the margin of the book, so out of the profits of the book. We're subsidizing shipping because we believe that people deserve to pay for the book rather than paying DHL or UPS or whoever to ship it. The, um, the price of the book is right in line with every other really high quality book that's there it's not exorbitant that's what we've tried to do and it's a fair price and we've cut our margin to to include the free shipping to the u.s um so that that's the book um the the mentoring well the 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 expressive photography community is a forum uh that i set up about uh, just over a year ago now and it's a safe space really for people to post images to to get critiques that are meaningful that aren't based on opinion because if i play you a piece of music and you don't like it it doesn't mean it's not a good piece of music to me it doesn't mean it's not expressing something to me you know someone can play me a piece of music that i don't like and it doesn't mean they're a bad musician if all you listen to is one type of music and someone plays you something that's not your thing doesn't mean it's bad and that's the same with photography. You can take amazing photographs that people just don't get. So right. that's really what the forum's all about. And it gives people an opportunity to explain why they made that photograph, why it's meaningful to them. And what that does is it allows other people to suddenly think, oh, wait a minute, I, I can relate to that now. Now I understand that. And it's broadening the spectrum. It's right. adding facets. So that's the, the private uh, members community. It's basically uh, either a monthly subscription, which you can turn on and off, or an annual subscription and you get a discount. It's cheaper to, 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 to do it annually. Uh, the YouTube channel started out of necessity when COVID hit, <laughs> really. Um, when, <laughs> when, when COVID hit, I had two years worth of sold out workshops in the diary. Um, so my, my income, I thought, was guaranteed for the next couple of years. And then COVID hit and we basically didn't run a single trip for nearly, nearly well, over 18 months at least. Yeah. So I started the YouTube channel. Um, the expressive photography thing was already in existence in my head. I'd already written some ebooks like Luminosity and Contrast and The Color of Meaning, which are deep diving into some of these triggers that, that, that allow us to see the world in a different way, to see the world in an emotional way rather than just a subject-driven way or a conventional composition-driven way. So pretty much everything is uh, various facets of my thematic approach to, to, to my craft, which is to marry feeling with expressing. Uh, to to marry aesthetics with emotions, um, and that is what I teach. So whether it's on YouTube for free, obviously if I give everything away for free, then we don't make a living at all. So we have to balance what we put on the YouTube channel versus what we only put in the members community versus what we bring out in eBooks, uh, and then people just do so you know. About two weeks ago, I said to John, I said, John, I think I'm going to do a YouTube channel on photography. And then while we talked about it, I said, well, why would I want to do that? Because everything I want to say has been said already. And this was about a week before I did my workshop at Mount Rainier. And I told my people that story at Rainier. And I said, you don't need to listen to me. I can do the same thing. But go listen to Alistair Ben. I gave him your 
YouTube channel. I said, because he's saying it. What am I going to do, repeat what, what he's saying? It's already been done, and, and you do it so well. So I'm, um, I'm the same color as my shirt now. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 but it's, it's a fact. And, and, you know, I mean, why be repetitive? It, it, it's, it, it's been done. So, uh, folks, check all these things out. We'll get we'll – get, uh, John, thank you so much again. I, I turned the computer on and off. John makes this whole thing happen, really. Right. Well, um, well, I think the last thing, and too, I want to talk about, depending on when you folks listen to this, Alistair, you're the uh, you're over on NPN, Nature Photographers Network, doing a little guest critique this week. I am. That's kind of cool. Yeah, David Kingham and I know each other really well. Um, when he took over NPN a few years ago, um, we kind of started the dialogue and, you know, I wrote a few articles earlier on and stuff like that. And um, we were going to run a workshop in Colorado together in the fall, but I can't get a visa because there's no appointments in any of the embassies for me to get a U.S. visa. So we had to cancel all of that. So I'm not coming to the States in the fall. But, yeah, David's a great guy. He actually built our forum, the the, the Express Photography Forum, oh. and he, he runs the technical side of it. Oh. Yeah, we um, just interviewed him here in the podcast. He's an amazing guy. He's he's uh, He's got a wonderful shyness about him which is hugely infectious um so yeah david david's a great guy and he asked me uh if i was interested in doing this guest critique thing um so we're getting people to post images that are expressive or expressive to them and i'm reviewing them from an expressive point of view which is what is the image saying about you or what is the image saying about itself and I've had a lot of fun with it so far. Um, it's it's kind of arduous, you know. There's there's a lot of images to review. Yeah, a lot of submissions. Yeah, but um, it's it's really rewarding, and the feedback I'm getting from the people whose images I've been reviewing has been really positive, and and they're kind of welcoming a different perspective rather than, oh, well, leading lines and rule of thirds and that type of vibe. <laughs> yeah, and I, th I think that's great that, that you're reviewing it from an expressive and what does it say to the photographer? Because that those kinds of questions aren't asked nearly as frequently as I'd like them to be out there. Well, like I said, every, every image whether we mean it or not, has an expressive quality to it. The, 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 the attributes of luminosity, contrast, color, atmosphere, and geometry speak a language and once you're tuned into that language, you understand, ah, that bit of the frame is saying that. And it's a very, very Don different... Don and I run a workshop where we do image reviews. Before we say anything, we ask the photographer what was he or she thinking about and what made you... What stimulated you to take this photograph? Right. Yep. It's yeah. so important. And, you know, a, a, a lot of the time... People don't know. No. You know. And, and, <laughs> and that's what's really kind of surprising is when they don't have an answer to why they took that photograph. I'm like, huh. All right. Well, that's interesting. When I started, but something did. When I started Expressive Photography, I put out a poll to my newsletter and I put it on social media and stuff. And I had, why do you make photographs? And there was a bunch of reasons. There were like five or six different reasons. And one of them was, I don't know. And there was another there was you know, so people could put in an answer, and thirty-four percent of the respondents were I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> so they could write 
anything they wanted or five or six different options and 33% said, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I do a whole PowerPoint on that and someone asked me that question in a talk I was doing for Fujifilm one time and I couldn't answer them and I said, I, I really can't answer that question and the people that looked at me like, well, we're paying you to be here. You can't, you know, and I said, well, kind of. I, I said, the only thing I could tell you is I don't really care about the photographs. Then that really confused them. And then, yeah, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're, the journey, I guess, I've been on for the last five or six years, I actually know why now. And, and that feels good to me. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to care why I'm making photographs. You know, knowing why I'm doing it doesn't mean to have, it doesn't mean it's a grand reason. It doesn't have to be profound. It's just, I know why I'm looking at the thing I'm looking at and pointing my camera at it, you know, and, and that's enough. Um, and a lot of the, uh, you know, one of the things we have to finish or, you know, to sort of appreciate and sort of looking at the time sort of thinking, I don't want people to get too bored with all this. But one of the things we have to realize is that photography is a reflective medium both literally in terms of it's, it's we're photographing the light that's reflecting off things, but we get to reflect on a moment. We get to reflect on an aesthetic and it's the perfect thing to look at, to, to immerse yourself in and to listen to, and to use that. We listen to music and it changes our mood. We look at art, it changes our mood. It can affect us. It teaches us. It's about growth. It's about, expanding horizons rather than becoming more polarized and that's the problem with society these days there's too much fractioning we're creating differences rather than coming together as humanity to, to appreciate that we're all pretty much the same at the end of the day we just have different priorities yep anyway you know soapbox <laughs> you know that's a whole nother podcast and maybe maybe we could, maybe we could get you and Guy on at the same time, you know. I'd love to. We tr we tried to do that in the spring, and and it was like yeah. hurting cats. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> getting people together. I, I tell you what, I'm, I wrote a note here. I'm going to send Bruce an email. Maybe we can get Bruce on here. He's uh, he's kind of an introvert to introverted guy, and I'm not sure. I've had him. Gonna... I've had him on my YouTube channel chat show a couple of times. I, I used to do a lot of interviews with with other photographers, and I had him on twice. And tell him, you know, you you pull you pull the string on the back of his neck, and he's like a Scottish Barbie. He'll he'll <laughs> just talk and talk and talk. Yeah, yeah. So he's. Yeah, I've he, seen him do a couple talks for different groups on on YouTube. And you'll get your money's worth out of. Well, Alistair, thank you so much for being here. I know in Scotland it's got to be close to seven or eight o'clock at night. Quarter past seven, but yeah. yeah. I hope you go eat dinner and. Listen to some music, and uh, and 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 we'll get you back. And folks, looking at images are great. Looking at them on paper is even better. Yeah. And please consider. I you know I know you know fuel is expensive and food is expensive, and but you know you you can learn a lot from looking at other people's work. And Alistair is at the top of the food chain here. At least check it out and consider it. Um, John, thank you. I'll see you in uh, on. Uh, see you next week. I'll see you on an airplane on the way to Anchorage, Alaska, a week from uh, today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. A week from right now, we'll be on the airplane. Yeah. We're going to okay. be doing a. 
we're going to be doing self-portraits using a 16-millimeter lens of grizzly bears. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be on the way to Alaska. Alistair, thank you so much. We'll get you back. Expressive photography. Look for the show notes, and, um, and uh, it's a pleasure having you here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really much. appreciate that. It's always a pleasure. I, 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 I just... here, if you have any questions, it's wetalkphoto at gmail.com. Um, ideas, what have you. Uh, and, uh, and, and we'll put these show notes up. And uh, it, it's all good. So thank you all. We'll see you again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye for now.